0: Today's reading is 1 Samuel chapters 15 through 17. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, we see that Saul disobeys once again. Verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, When he came up from Egypt, now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together, and numbered them into Liam, two hundred thousand footmen, and ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek, and laid wait in the valley." And Saul said unto the Kenites, "Go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore that is over against Egypt." And he took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agog, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly." Well, in this passage, in these nine verses, we see that God told Saul through Samuel to completely destroy the Amalekites. I mean, completely. These Amalekites had a lengthy history with the Hebrews, and it wasn't a good one. They attempted to stop the Israelites when they marched through the territory in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 18, and they attacked them at Rephidim in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13, And compare that account to that found in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 17 and 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 2. Here's what you see. Afterwards, they attacked the Israelites at Hormah in Numbers chapter 14 verses 39 to 45. We read of them subsequently as in league against Israel with the Moabites in Judges chapter 3 verse 13 and then the Midianites in Judges chapter 6 verse 3. So, I said all that to say this. You can see that these Amalekites had been very, very hostile toward Israel for hundreds of years. Furthermore, we see that Saul's already had at least one bout with them back in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 48. So, God's very clear on this issue of the total Amalekite destruction in verse 3. Moreover, we find in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17-19... through 19, that God had already decreed their destruction. However, Saul decides to improvise God's plan and capture their king, Agog, as a POW. That was in direct violation to God's command. Also, he takes some booty, forbidden by God in this battle decree, in verse 3. As a bad move, Saul, for the record, we're still not done with these pesky Amalekites. A remnant of Amalekites show up again, Nagging David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Incidentally, you'll notice in verse 6 that Saul's warning to the Kenites regarding their association with the Amalekites is quite clear. It says, And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites." Kenites were Midianites, according to Judges chapter 1, verse 16. Incidentally, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a Kenite. Because of their kind treatment of the Israelites in the past, they get an opportunity here to vacate the territory before Israel comes through. One more point should be made clear here regarding Saul's actions. He killed the people, but saved the spoils. He wasn't compassionate, He's just greedy. Well, we see then in verses 10 through 23, Saul finds out the message from Samuel that, Saul, it's over. Verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord." And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear?" And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Well, Samuel breaks some bad news to Saul here. He uses the Hebrew word nakam to describe God's current attitude towards Saul. Translated repent in verse 11 here in the King James Version, it doesn't actually hold the same connotation as the New Testament word translated repent, which is metanaeo, meaning to change one's mind. The Old Testament word, nakam, means to express sorrow, not to change one's mind. In other words, God's very disappointed in Saul. Hey, Samuel's sorry also. He's sorry over Saul. Cried all night prior to his confrontation with him in verse 11. But upon Samuel's arrival, at Saul's post-battle location, Saul greets Samuel with this phrase, Blessed be thou the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What a clever reply Samuel makes when he says, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? You'll notice twice in this discourse that Saul blames the people for the infractions. He does it in verses 15, 21, and 24. It's also interesting that in verse 15, Saul refers to God as, the Lord thy God it's as though Saul lacks his own personal relationship with God though Saul puts up a great defense and tries to blame the people he had actually intentionally stopped short of doing exactly what God had commanded now here in verses 22 and 23 we have three phrases that I've heard people use over the years on their children the first one is they'll tell their children To obey is better than sacrifice. Or as I heard one man phrase it, Right, R-I-G-H-T, is more important than Right, R-I-T-E. That's kind of clever, don't you think? And the second phrase is, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I mean, I've heard preachers use that over and over again. And parents use it on their kids too. And then thirdly, here's another phrase found in these two verses stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry well you certainly got a lot of iniquitous and idolatrous kids around don't you now for the really really bad news Saul gets God has rejected Saul as the king of Israel Ooh, you gotta hate hearing that so let's recap in 1st Samuel chapter 13 verses 8 through 14 God, back then, told Saul that his descendants would not carry the royal line for Israel. Now Saul's being told that his own kingship is to be prematurely discontinued. Ordinarily, he'd be king till he lived a long, prosperous life. But nope, Saul's is going to be cut short. Here we have a picture of man's feeble attempt to improve on God's plan with his very own works. But God insists on just plain old obedience instead. Well, in verses 24 to 35 of chapter 15, we see that there is no room for politics here. Verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. And Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord, Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agog, the king of the Amalekites. And Agog came unto him delicately. And Agog said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agog in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, a really compassionate person probably feels sorry for Saul here. He's disobeyed God based on the poll numbers. Look at verse 24. It says, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. In other words, never mind what God had said. Here's what the people wanted. But then Saul makes an impassioned plea to Samuel. I mean, begs. Oh, come on, Saul. Don't beg. You're above that. But he does. He does. He begs Samuel to patch things up, make them right, between the Lord thy God and Saul. He even tears Samuel's skirt trying to keep Samuel from leaving. Samuel turns even that action into an object lesson in verse 28. He leaves no doubt about God's intentions regarding the kingship of Saul over Israel when he says, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine, that is better than thou. Saul then makes another face-saving request in verse 30. He says, Honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people. He wants Samuel to put on a good show right in front of the leaders so as not to undermine his authority. He wants him to do it right there on the spot. Samuel seems to comply with this request in verse 31. But there's one more piece of unfinished business here. Saul, hey, bring me Agog before I go. Oh, cheerful Agog strolls in. Having escaped death, well, not really. Samuel cuts him into pieces for his atrocities after he says, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. Despite the decree here, It's commonly believed among Jewish sources that the Haman of the book of Esther, who is described as an Agagite, was the descendant of this King Agog in this passage. To the Jewish people, that gives the story of Esther a more sinister tone, as King Agog's descendant Haman seeks to avenge his ancestors' death. His first mention in the book of Esther is Esther chapter 3, verse 1. However, there's really no way to scripturally validate that theory. Well, it's not over till it's over. But look at verse 35. Here's what it says. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Again, as I stated earlier, the word repent there, the Hebrew nakam, means to express sorrow, not to change one's mind. Beginning in chapter 16, we see that David, the one day to be king of Israel, David gets the call, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill thee. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and, behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. In verse 1, God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem for the express purpose of the selection of a new king of Israel, and that's to be from among the sons of a man named Jesse. Now, you may wonder if the reality of what has happened to his position before God as king has fully been realized by Saul at this point. Based upon Samuel's fear of Saul in verse 2, I'd say absolutely. Saul knows that his days are numbered as king. One might even conjecture from verse 2 that Saul had people, you know, people like the Secret Service, keeping an eye on Samuel. God tells Samuel to go make a sacrifice there as a cover for the greater intention of appointing a new king. Now, the elders at Bethlehem, well, I mean, they're scared of Samuel. They seek assurances from Samuel when he gets there that he's come peaceably and receives those assurances. He then arranges a personal ceremony with Jesse and his boys. Going to find a king there. When Samuel sees the oldest son, Eliab, he's impressed. Tall, king-looking guy. God says, nope, not him. And all the other brothers that go before him, seven all together, nope on all of them. Why? Well, because of what's said in verse 7 man looketh on the outward appearance but the Lord looketh on the heart so God rejected those other sons so let's bring David in from the field and let's get a look at him Jesse hadn't even considered David up to this point well here comes David shepherd, slinger, harpist, poet, psalmist but king? God says he's the one Samuel anoints David hang on David these things sometimes take a little while to unfold. We have a small technicality here, and here it is. Saul still thinks he's the king of Israel right now. If you'd like to see a list of Jesse's sons, look at the passage over in First Chronicles 2, verses 13-15. through Now, we see that uh, David has some musical talent in chapter 16, verses 14-23, to verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are set before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse, and said, "'Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep.' And Jesse took an ass laden with bread, and a bottle of wine, and a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul, and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, "'Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight.' And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand so Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 14 says this. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Wouldn't you know it? Saul gets a troubled spirit. The Hebrew word raw translated evil, actually doesn't mean wicked. It's not a wicked spirit from the Lord. It's Most scholars agree that it's likely that Saul's symptoms included signs of mental illness during these times. One of his advisors suggests to Saul that some nice music would help. Notice the credentials this advisor lists for David in verse 18. He says, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Hey, uh, doesn't David write his own songs and perform them also? Let's contact his agent. Well, that's his dad here. And let's bring him on in. With his other qualities, he can double as a bodyguard. Just as prescribed when David played, Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. How ironic. The man God has chosen to ascend to the throne of Israel has been chosen by Saul and his advisors to become Saul's new therapist, so to speak. And David had a soothing effect on Saul. We see that in verse 23 when it says, And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul... That David took an harp and played with his hand, and Saul was refreshed and was well, and the spirit departed from him. Whenever Saul displayed these symptoms, David was the answer. How convenient that the next king of Israel should, unknowingly to Saul, serve in such a capacity. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we get the story of Goliath. So, how big was O Goliath, anyway? Well, let's read. Verse 1. Now, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shakhah, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shakhah and Azekah in Damum. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And they went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath of Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass." And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul?' "'Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. "'If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, "'then will we be your servants. "'But if I prevail against him and kill him, "'then shall ye be our servants and serve us.' "'And the Philistines said, "'I defy the armies of Israel this day. "'Give me a man that we may fight together.' When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. When the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this pitched corn, and "'these ten loaves, and run on to the camp to thy brethren. "'And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, "'and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. "'Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel "'were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. "'And David rose up early in the morning "'and left the sheep with the keeper, "'and took and went as Jesse had commanded him, And he came to the trench, as the host was going forth to fight, and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage to the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And he talked with them. Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Goth, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another, and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb. And out of the flock, and I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and then the uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover... The Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his arm, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took a staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, and David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it, And smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines, until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shearim, even unto Goth, and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, "'Whose son art thou, thou young man?' And David answered, "'I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite.'" Well, Goliath was big. I mean, he was really big. With a cubit, the length of the forearm, elbow to fingertip, being estimated at 16 to 20 inches, Goliath was therefore somewhere between eight and a half to maybe as tall as 11 feet. His armor weighed 125 pounds as a really big man. Oh, one more thing. He hated Israelis. Came out and mocked them every day. That's Cold War tactics right there. He did that for 40 days. While Saul and the army were on the front lines, David returned to watch his father's sheep. One day, David goes to see his three brothers on the battlefield for the purpose of taking them some food and then returning to the father with a report of their safety. While they're on the battlefield, David catches a performance of Goliath's stand-up Jew-mocking act. Everybody in Israel was terrified. David's fumed. He cries out in verse 26, What shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, this causes David's oldest brother, Eliab, to take a couple of insulting verbal swings at David. Notice the big reward in verse 25. It says, The man who killeth him, being Goliath, the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Whoa, instant success, but apparently no takers you got to love David's reaction to this whole scenario when David says in verse 25, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now that's what I'm talking about. And when rebuked by his brothers, he replies in verse 28, Is there not a cause? It should be noted here that we're told Saul himself was quite tall, a good foot or so taller than the other Hebrews, according to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. I mean, wouldn't Saul be the logical choice to go out and fight Goliath? We do know that Saul was a tall man, and though a little advanced in years at this point, 1 Samuel 15 may have been the place where God turned his back on Saul's kingship. But here's where David begins to receive honor from the people of Israel over Saul. Well, this is definitely a turning point. If David can pull this near impossible feet off, now we're talking. But when Saul heard that little David said he could do the job, well, he's impressed and perhaps a little amused. Though David had been playing soothing music to Saul, it would seem that Saul didn't really know who David was. You know, musicians just don't get any respect, do they? When he meets David, he's not very impressed. We see that in verse 33 when he says, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So, son, have you done any fighting before? Well, David gives Saul his battle resume in verses 34 and 35 before he just oozes with confidence in verse 36 as he proclaims that he can take Goliath just as easily. Well, why not give him a shot at it? add giant slater david's resume david tries to wear the heavy armor with the big old sword not for him well at least not today remember his resume he was a slinger and apparently a good one chooses five stones and heads out to meet goliath in verse 43 and following we see the technique that has been copied by schoolyard bullies and even nfl players down through the centuries intimidation with words and special cursing by his lame gods today it's called trash talk david trumps it though does the same thing back but invokes the name of jehovah with his reply they rush toward one another sling 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 boom goliath catches one right between the eyes dead dead man the philistines scatter David subsequently removes Goliath's own sword with which he severs his head and carries that giant's big old surprised face around with him using his nappy locks as handles, showing it off for quite some time after that. As a matter of fact, a trophy, you see. Saul's army is rejuvenated, and the men of Israel and of Judah arose, it says, and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Saul's army with a new confidence now defeats the remaining Philistines that very same day. When Saul has David brought before him for the due congratulations, David's still carrying that big, bloody Goliath head. (laughs) Had to be a little funny. Hey, when you're proud, you're proud. Verse 54 has caused some confusion among Bible scholars. Jerusalem at that time was a Jebusite city at this point. David didn't conquer jerusalem until 2nd samuel chapter 5 yet we're told here it says and david took the head of the philistine and brought it to jerusalem but he put his armor in his tent jerusalem was a well fortified city at that point in time but it could be that david deposited the head of goliath in jerusalem outside the wall in plain sight of the jebusites as a statement That the Jebusites were not to escape Israel's future advances. I prefer that understanding of the verse over others that have been suggested. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.